this morning. going to uh, open this morning with this series on Mark, but everybody who is a smartphone person who might have a version app, uh, you can jump on at a live link where you can have all the notes that are already there. Uh, you, you received a co paper copy when you came in this morning, but if, you, if you're on version, you can click log into this app and it'll actually lead you through all the verses that I'm going to be reading. They're already there in your notes. So uh, jump on that. Uh, we're going to begin this morning with our text. It's found in Mark chapter 10. Verse 45, so find a screen this morning, and if you would, let's read together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Bow your hearts with me for a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, thank you for your unspeakable gift that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this service this morning. Thank you for the amazing time of praise and worship and just touching our hearts, Lord, as we were impacted by your amazing presence, even as the words of the song say, Lord, we are astounded at your presence. We're amazed at your grace. Jesus, we just ask you today to be lifted up and glorified and honored in this place. Do what only you can do. Mend a broken heart. Reconcile a lost relationship. Lord, thank you that you save a lost soul, that you heal a broken body, Lord, that you provide for a need. Jesus, we thank you that the gospel covers all of that and so much more. We give you praise in this place. And I just say before you, Lord, and everybody under the sound of my voice that I cannot do anything apart from you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're the only teacher. Get involved in this today. Be wrap mysteriously how you do yourself around and through and in the words that you've given me to speak today and take a hot coal off of the altar and drop a unique specific one into every heart in this place you only have that ability to take the same words everyone else is here that they hear but you make it personal for every person in this place we give you praise because only god can do that we just thank you spirit of the lord for this moment just enjoy it we love you jesus Glorify your name. All the God's words said. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Last week we gave you an introduction in the Gospels. We are opening this new series literally today is Mark 1 1. On his mark. Um, we backed up a little bit into the prophetic books, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and Hebrew, looking for Yeshua HaMashiach, the one who is to come, the anointed one, the, the ruler of the nations. We put on a set of lenses and we looked through the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 1, verse 10, and then we jumped over to the New Testament to give the witness out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, whatever word be established, the Bible says, in both covenants, Deuteronomy and 2 Corinthians 13. And so we got, we got a witness from Ezekiel, we got a witness from the book of Revelation, that there were creatures 
that were there for the purpose around the throne of God day and night, 24-7. Really, that doesn't even apply because they're in eternity. They're timeless. Eternity is not a long time. It's no time at all. It's outside the realm of time. And so these four creatures, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, describing the four faces of Jesus Christ are representative of the four heralds, the messengers, those that are proclaiming and declaring, holy is the Lord of hosts. They're gathered around the throne. They're establishing and acknowledging and confirming the lordship of the one who's sitting, seated on the throne. And I, I, I don't believe that there are Star Wars bar scene creatures that are around the throne of God. I believe that this is a spiritual... I believe it's a metaphor, I believe it's an allegory, I believe it's a picture showing us of what these four heralds are doing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel announcers, the gospel annunciators, the gospel proclaimers. Because there is not one alone that had the ability to thoroughly and exhaust every detail about the magnificence of Jesus. Because this Jesus that they proclaim and that we preach and which we believe in is so big. And I believe that word's appropriate. We, we use theological words like august and majestic and the, the grandeur of God. But let me just bring it down to a common folk term like me and you. Jesus is so big that one gospel and that perspective of that fellow's eyewitness account will not do justice. Matthew was written for the purpose of introducing the king of the Jews to the Jews themselves. He went through an extensive genealogical record to prove that Joseph and Mary and their lineage carried them all the way back through David, through Abraham, back to Adam, and that this Jesus Christ is related to us racially and redemptively and royally. Matthew gives us the picture of the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mark gives us this picture of the ox, the burden bearer, this one that gets up underneath the load and is faithful to carry the load. The ox also is the only sacrificial animal in the bunch. The lion is the king. The ox is the picture of the servant. In Matthew, we see king of kings. In Mark, we see servant of servants. In Luke, we have a description written by a physical, a medical doctor who is describing, writing for the purpose of getting the attention of the Greek culture. These were the folks that were in the throes of all of their Olympic contests and trying to design and perfect the perfect human, the perfect man, the perfect musculature, the perfect body, the symmetry, the muscles, the bones, the sinews, all of this stuff together, mind, body, spirit, all of these things together in the contest of the Olympics. And so Luke writes, showing, using the phrase over and over, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, and it shows Jesus as the perfect man. Then we get over to the Gospel of John. Very different than the first three. The first three are called synoptic Gospels. S-Y-N, together, optic. I go to an optician, which is a doctor of eyesight. I, I go to an optic specialist in order to get lenses so I can see. So synoptic Gospels see together. They bring to you the same stories over and over and over. When you read Matthew and you go to jump over to Mark, you go, wow, I thought I just read that. Well, you did. When you get into Luke, you go, wow, I read that again. This is three times a charm. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke will give you the same details. And John picks up on some of those. He writes his differently, specifically for believers. And he's writing, giving us the picture of the eagle, that fourth creature, the lion, the ox, the man, the eagle. Every one of them representative of one of the faces of Jesus. Jesus has dominion as the king, as the lion. He has submission as the ox, the servant of servants. He is the perfect human. The one who, who comes and He puts Himself literally in between the incarnation of God in flesh, man, the perfect man. It, it is this picture of the incarnation of God coming to earth. And then finally, uh, the eagle is that picture of the overcomer, the, the believer. And it's the place of God in intercession for us, covering us, protecting us under the pinions of His wings. Every one of these gospel writers give us some details many times about the same stories. Never in a contradictory manner, but sometimes adding a detail that the other one left out. Six of you could walk out of this service this morning, stand on the corner out here at the entrance to the mall and the service road and see a three-car pileup, and six of you would all come away with the major details intact, but every one of you probably, because not... No, no, all six are not looking tunnel vision in the same direction because you got six people. They're all looking at different things. And you're going to pick up on different factors that cause that wreck to take place, that historical event. And so in the very same way that you would all have the major details together and some of you would also add some other things that you saw that others didn't see, it doesn't negate the testimony of the other five. A faithful law officer will come out there and take all of your testimonies and put it all together and realize that it's a combination of all of those. And our Jesus is so big that Matthew alone couldn't tell the story because he's not just a king. Oh my, he is a king. But he's not just a king. He's a servant of servants and he's an ox who will get up underneath and come down to the lowest place and he will get up underneath the circumstances of your life and he will lift you up. He's not just a king who rules from the top down, but he's an ox who will lift you up from the bottom up. He's a perfect man in his humanity, and he's perfectly God in his divinity. And it takes all four of those to put together and give us a picture of this indescribable, majestic, big God-man by the name of Jesus Christ. We talked about the gospel last week. We used Dr. Rick Warren's method of pronouncing. We said the key phrases in the key text for this series, Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We would pause and we would emphasize one of those words at a time. And we came up with what I really believe is a pretty good encapsulation of the gospel. God himself showed up as a man to demonstrate his love for us reversing the roles, serving and sacrificing in order to pay the price, the penalty, the ransom money, the blood money, to pay that for you, those of us that have been held, <coughs> pardon me, held in bondage to the slavery of sin, and we have been set free. God Himself became a man, showed up to demonstrate His love by reversing the roles and serving and sacrificing Himself and paying the price for those held hostage to the slavery of sin. Man, my media team is on it. That was from last week, and they pulled that up and got it for me. Give them a hand back there, will you? Let's hit the ground running. Mark 1 1. Mark immediately. Thank you, brother. That little tickle in the throat this morning. Appreciate that. Mark 1 1, and he immediately <coughs> drops the bomb in the first scene of the movie. I mean, this is this is Terminator. 
This is Olympus Has Fallen. This is every major man movie where you got blow stuff blowing up and carnage and folks dying. I mean, this is just crazy. The first scene, there is no drama. There is no buildup. Mark lays this thing out, and he reveals from the very get-go. He says in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He does not take time to establish an intricately designed and historically substantiated genealogy like Matthew does and like Luke does, one of Joseph's side, the other of Mary's side. He doesn't take time to do that. He has a whole different means than what he's attempting to do. He does not put a lot of the teaching of Jesus in this gospel the way the other gospel writers do that spend time giving us all the parables and the teachings of Jesus. Mark is an action like a screenplay. It is immediately and straightway, and then they went to this, and then boom! I mean, it's like this stuff blowing up, immediately moving from one scene to another. Where the other Gospels emphasize the teaching of Jesus, the, Mark is, the Gospel of Mark is all about the action of Jesus. It's about what he has done. We don't have to waste time asking a subjective question Looking at our nice little charismatic wristbands, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because we have full records of what Jesus did do. Therefore, that's taught us an objective truth, something on which we can stand. And it's not just left up to, well, I just feel like this is really what he's saying to me. Because <laughs> it puts it in a whole subjective thing when we start talking like that. It's not, what do you think Jesus would do, but it's, what did Jesus do? That's the gospel. It is news. We've already talked about that. Religion offers advice, but the gospel gives us news. It's not daily news. It's not gossip news. It's not what Yahoo says. It's not what TMZ or, or Access Hollywood or Extra or, or People Magazine or even Time Magazine. It's not even legitimate daily news. But this is earth-shaking, history-making, life-changing news. But you're going to give him praise. Come on, everybody do it together. The gospel, the gospel of God, euangelion is the Greek word, and we actually have in artifacts from the time of Augustus Caesar, who was the Caesar ruling the Roman Empire at the time when Jesus was born. He was the grandnephew of, uh, of Julius Caesar. His name was Octavius, and the Roman Senate named him August where we get our month of the year, August, from, Augustus Caesar. When you read the Bible and you hear about the birth of Jesus, you will hear that it went out from Augustus Caesar that they declared there must be a, a, a cow, a census, at the time of Jesus. And you remember the story. He got up and, he, he, not he got up, but they picked up the baby and they headed over to Bethlehem uh, to where Mary's people were from. And so the whole situation that was in revolving around that was tied historically to, to a ruler that we know specifically lived in history. As a matter of fact, there is a fragment of a writing that was produced by a historian of the time that's called the Gospel of Augustus. Now, it has nothing to do with religion, but it's this word euangelion, and it means the history-making, life-changing news. And it was the account of uh, basically, the, the, the wars and the conquests, the warfare accomplishments, the military conquests 
of Augustus Caesar. And because he had won and the territory had expanded, it had changed history, it had made history, and it changed the lives of the people that were citizens of the Roman Empire. So when the word gospel is used, euangelion, we get the word evangel or evangelism or evangelical. All of those are directly related to gospel. It is this idea, not only of the message that's being announced, but the herald, the messenger who's carrying it. And so every one of these, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are gospel heralds. They are, they are agalos. They are messengers from the word euangelion. They're declaring, okay? So as we jump in, this gospel is news. It's not just advice. It's not self-help the way all the other religions of the world basically give us these ten things that you can do to be like God or to achieve nirvana or to break from the cycle of karma or any of these various traditions that are believed in the multitudes of religions around the world. The gospel is the fact that God comes and drives a grace stake into the middle of all of that cycle of, of sowing and reaping and he says guess what I'm going to reconcile your past I'm going to redeem your present and I'm going to restore your future and that's the gospel that's the good news the history making life changing good news of Jesus Christ it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel is the history making life changing good news of Jesus Christ that changes everything look at your neighbor and say everything's different neighbor come on tell them now, I want you to picture this with me, and we want to tie this just for the next few moments this morning to our last Thursday night lesson with Dr. Rick Warren, where he taught us that many times we can draw so much, a mine of wealth, a spiritual truth, out of Scripture when we take time to picture ourselves in the story the way it would have been seen by all of those others. Now, we've got faithful Jews that are coming out now to the Jordan River because we've got a guy who's showing up dressed in a crazy attire. When it comes to prophets and, and the whole costume they wear, John is on the wild end of the spectrum. He's eating locusts and, and wild honey. He's dressed in camel's hair, got a big leather belt around holding all this stuff together. And he is passionate. He is preaching. He is screaming in the wilderness. And he's, he's kind of a one-hit wonder. He's got one song that he's singing over and over again. Before we jump into that, I want you to picture this with me. It's been over 400 years. As a matter of fact, it's called the 400 silent years. It's the intertestamental period between the writings in the Hebrew Bible and the opening of the Christian New Testament. And there have been all kinds of political uprisings and dynasties that have arisen and fallen. All kinds of history has been written. And it's in this 400 year period where our, our friends in the Roman Catholic Church give us the books that are added to what we call the Apocrypha. They are, they are referred to as the deuterocanonical books. And I'll try to say that five times fast. <laughs> deuterocanonical. That means they are the, the second canon. Protestants do not believe that those are of sufficient enough um, worth to put into the actual canon of Scripture, but we do rely upon them for history. So we, we read of the stuff that's been going on over this 400-year period, and uh, we, we had a number of changes. The Persians were in rule, and then the Medes. After the Medes, then we have Alexander the Great. Come on, all of you been in history, you've heard of Alexander the Great. really did live in history. Um, uh, very, very, very significant fellow who, over 13 years, he just he rules for 13 years, and then he dies. He dies young. 
And he leaves his generals in control over various regions, Ptolemy and Egypt, the Seleucids and various portions around this whole region that's referred to as the known world in the Bible, around what the, the scriptures call the Great Sea or the Mediterranean Sea. And so we've got all of these dynasties arising. We have the Persians and then the Medes, and then we have Alexander the Great. It's called the period of Hellenism or the Greek advancement of culture, a Hellenistic period. After that, then we see a season where the Jews have some independence. We have a group called the Maccabees, who are kind of running the country, and then the Hasmoneans. And I know that I'm giving you some history, and I'm going to be finished in about 15 seconds, and I'll be finished with this part. But then all of a sudden we see a great takeover, and it's the Roman Empire that begins to build. We have Julius Caesar, who declares himself as the all-time dictator, calls himself the Caesar. And then he dies in the Senate. And then his grandnephew Augustus comes, Octavius, who was later renamed Augustus, comes to the throne, becomes the emperor of the Roman Empire. This is going on at the time Jesus is born. Jesus has been alive now for right at 30 years, and he's headed down to the Jordan River. His very own cousin, John the Baptist, who was born to Mary's cousin Elizabeth. He's a miracle baby. Elizabeth's probably in her 70s when all of a sudden Zachariah looks at her with kind of a funny grin on his face one day when he comes home from his temple duties and says, hey baby, and guess what? I guess I should leave that alone. But a miracle takes place. These guys are way too old. He's too old, she's too old, but yet a miracle takes place and God conceives. And in, in that, Zechariah and Elizabeth birth this baby that Zechariah is struck dumb for the whole pregnancy until the time when he takes the tablet and he says, everybody says, well, we guess you're going to call him Zechariah. And Zechariah shakes his head, takes out a, a tablet, and he writes, his name is John. And all of a sudden, his tongue is loosed. He begins to speak and declare the glories of the Lord. And, John and Jesus grow up together. They're cousins, just like normal little boys, not really knowing necessarily anything significant about the other one, other than the fact they've heard the story that when Elizabeth and Mary met, they both leaped in the womb. There was some joy that was experienced in the season of expectation. You know what? I believe that happens with believers. Sometimes you get around other folk that are pregnant with the same kind of expectation of faith and vision, and you just hear them talk, and it just makes something leap on the inside of you. And the women understand that, and all the guys are going, I don't know exactly what he means, but yeah, I guess I can get around some brothers sometimes and get inspired, maybe I can take it that way. Elizabeth and Mary talk about the babies leaping inside their wombs. Something takes place. They grow together. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, knows Jesus is cool guy. He's a carpenter. He's strong. Loves his folks. Loves God. Grows up learning the scripture like all the other Jewish boys do. John comes into his ministry. He senses the call of God in his life and something takes place. This is where we begin to read right here in, in Mark chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. And the Bible says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold I send my messenger. That's the proclaimer of the Evangelion, the, the gospel. I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. This is what I want you to see this morning. We've got a gospel concert here. And we've got some faithful Jews who've, who've been looking. It's basically the heavens have been brass for 400 years. We've got people rising to power. 
We've got a new president. We've got a new emperor. We've got new folks running the country. And they're here and they've taken over. And they've got the oral history of it. The grandparents told them about it. They, they learned about it in the synagogue. And the priests have schooled them and learned the Lord. And they're expecting. They're still longing. There was a season when it looked like the light was going to go out. But there have been faithful Jews who have continued to hold on to the promise that God would send a Yeshua HaMashiach. He would send a Messiah. Yahweh Himself would show up in the flesh. We've got a gospel concert that's about to take place. And it's in two acts. And a little short stint by this fellow by the name of John the Baptist. And he's the warm-up band. John the Baptist is the warm-up band, but there's two acts on the main stage. John is a one-hit wonder, and he's keeps singing over and over, Prepare the way of the Lord! And make His path straight. Bring down the high mountains. Raise up and exalt the hills. Make the crooked places straight. Make the highway of the Lord, for God is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And what I want you to see is this grand concert was announced. It was put up on the billboard of history 700 years before it took place. Isaiah said there's one who's coming. John stands up and begins to do that. And he begins to declare what his place in this ministry is. And all these folks are wondering if he's the Messiah when he comes on the scene. Because he's preaching repent and turn back to God, to a nation that had been struck with idolatry and that had stopped and served false gods in various places in its history. And I want you to see a principle here that's common sense. This is something that will work in your life. Preparation always comes before revelation. Say that with me. Preparation comes before revelation. You know what? Before you have the revelation of success in your career, you're going to have to have a season of preparation. It might be some schooling or skill training in a trade. It could be an apprentice with a master electrician or a plumber. It could be uh, going to school and, and building uh, some capital because you're working hard and you're, you're building intellectual capital and you're putting a dream together and you get your MBA and you start a business and you work hard for a few years before you start to see the return on all that investment. Preparation comes before revelation. We're faithful in the little things before God makes us ruler over the greats or the many. Preparation comes before revelation. You don't just have a good marriage and all of a sudden it gets revealed one day. You prepare for that marriage. You invest in her. You love, honor, and cherish her. You respect and submit to Him and he, because He's willing to lay down His life for you in the same way that Christ does the church. And you're preparing and you're building. And, and, and you, before long you look around and you've got a solid foundation, a house that's built where Jesus is Lord of the home. And that, that it's revealed, it's seen, it's been weather tested. Storms of life had hit it. And the floods come down and the rains come down and the floods come up. But your house stands firm because you prepared. And the revelation of God brings that. Hallelujah. You want to be great? Do something great for the kingdom of God. You want to be a musician? You want to be a singer? You have to practice. You have to practice. You have to pray. You have to seek the face of God. Get the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life. Practice your Practice your talent, your gift, until you develop it into a skill and stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Preparation comes before revelation. Everything you do, you, you want to grow a garden in your backyard, you prepare the soil, you dig a hole, you plant the seed. Preparation comes before the, the seed breaks through the sod and then you see the, the, the sprouts and the, 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 thing, the shoot begin to come up and fruit growing. There's preparation before there's revelation. 
as a principle that you will never get away from. Some of you are sitting here with dreams in your hearts this morning that have been planted there by Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. Your dream will never come to a place of revelation if you don't get up off of your blessed assurance and you begin to make some preparation. You get to prepare. Come on, somebody. Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Let's read on. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Everybody say those three words. Baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to Him and were being baptized by Him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and while hunting he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we've got this guy who's come on the scene who was fulfilling Scripture announced 700 years ago. And he's a messenger with a one-song wonder. He's got an act preparatory for the one who's coming, the one who will be revealed, the, the carrier of the glory of the Lord. And he's just singing over and over, prepare the way of the Lord, repent, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord, bring high the high mountains down low and raise up the low valleys, prepare the way of the Lord. So he's declaring it over and over and over and somewhere in this short ministry, one day Jesus comes walking up on the scene right down to the Jordan River where John is baptizing <coughs> faithful Jews and where Pharisees and Sadducees are mocking. Where people are questioning whether or not he is the one. And something takes place. It's John's gospel that records this for us. Now this is not the same John. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, didn't write anything in the, in the Bible. But the disciple John writes the Gospel of John. He writes the three little letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John over toward the end of the book. And then he also writes the very last book of the Bible called the Revelation, singular, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So he gives us those five installments, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then Revelation. So John, the disciple, records what John the Baptist says here. He sees Jesus and something is different about him on this day. He comes walking up and there's, there seems to be something kind of shining out and around him. And his cousin looks at his cousin. John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says for the first time with a deep sense of conviction, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John says, well, Why are you here? And Jesus says, Allow it to be so for righteousness to be fulfilled. John says, if anything, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, do this. And the greater submits to the lesser ministry. Where you will hear him later say, I, he must increase, I must decrease. And so he's on the scene for a very short time. He's like a warm-up band before the big act that's coming. Jesus comes on the scene, and this is what we see happening. John is baptizing with a baptism of repentance. It is washing away the old for life change. The Greek word metanoia literally means change your thinking. When I preach the gospel around here at Victory, I always include this two-sided coin. Repent is on one side, believe is on the other. When you, when you put this coin into the machine, it spins. It's not a matter, when I say it spins, I mean it S-P-E-N-D-S. It's spins. You, you're applying it. 
Okay, we're not buying anything because this is by grace through faith. It's a gift to us. But what God gives us is the gift of faith, and He gives us the gift of repentance. And both of those are together one side of two-sided coin. I turn from something, but I turn to God. I repent from my past, but I believe into Jesus that is He alone is my future. That's right. Now, it's not just turning from alone. Because we've all tried that. We've all taken the advice that religion gives to us and we've, we've tried three new steps to this and seven steps toward a better marriage and 30 days toward abs that pop and, and all of these different kinds of things that the infomercials give us and the religionists give us. And by the way, I want to tell you, I have a six-pack. I just have it hidden right now in my life. So it's fully there. <laughs> uh, all the stuff that we try to turn from Unless we employ the other side of the coin and we believe into Jesus, it is just a religious work that will never do anything for us of any eternal value. Because this is by grace through faith. And to repent means I change my mind about all that stuff and I put my mind on Him. I turn from my past. And really it's not turning from my past first. It's turning to look at Him and to observe Him. And in doing that, in turning to Him, I automatically have already turned from my past. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. For so John basically says, hang on for the main act. He says, what I do with water, He does with the Holy Spirit. So He's, he's dunking folks in water. It's a picture of burying the old life and coming up with a new life. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into you. It's there's, there's nothing efficacious in the water. When we roll that baptismal out here and we baptize folks on a regular basis, it is, it is a symbolic act of going down into the water and burying the old man and coming up in the newness of life because I'm identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The only power that is in that is power that is in the faith in what Jesus did in His own resurrection. The water does not save me. I just get wet. <laughs> That's what you think. Then you just got a good wet. I'm going to tell you, I, baptism is important. But here at Victory, I just want you to know we believe that salvation is grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. Come on, somebody. Baptism is important. Baptism does not save you. Mark 1, 9 through 11. The main act has some serious special effects. Find a reward and read the scripture with me. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now I want you to get this. Picture yourself out there as a faithful Jew that's grown up. You were born into this thing. You're looking for the Mashiach. You're looking for the Messiah. And this guy who's been preaching out here for the last couple of months is growing crowds. and Everybody's getting pretty excited. They're coming out to hear him. They're seeing him out here in the wilderness. They're leaving the city and going out to the river. They're getting baptized. There's, there's something that he's stirring up the folks and they're hungry. And we've had 400 years with silence and we've not really had a word from God. But it's almost like the atmosphere is pregnant. We're expecting God to do something. It's like T.D. Jakes is standing out there going, Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready! The first act has come and he's saying, prepare, prepare, prepare the way. Get ready! Jesus comes on the scene and John says, no, no, it's not me. This, this, this one right here, he's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals or unbuckle the strap, the leather strap on his sandals. He says, what I've done with water, he's going to do with the Holy Ghost. 
And as soon as he baptizes Jesus and Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens are ripped open. There hasn't been an open heaven. They haven't heard a word from God in four centuries. And all of a sudden, the voice comes thundering out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Every faithful Jew, picture it with me this morning, standing out there has been raised up in the Genesis account of how this whole thing, how the world was brought into being by the spoken word of God. They all remember in the Genesis account that the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and every faithful Jew knows out there that when they read about that and the priest talks about it and it's proclaimed that the, 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 the quality of the Hebrew word literally means that the Spirit of the Lord fluttered over the water like the wings of a dove. So Jesus comes up out of the water and they're watching this and the heavens are ripped open and they hear a voice. If you remember in Genesis, you've got God who speaks, God who thinks, God who speaks and the Spirit is hovering and preparing and He's hovering like the fluttering wings of a dove. That's what it's like. Every Jew out there knows that. All of a sudden, this one walks into the water and He's baptized by John and He comes up out of it. History-making, life-changing, universe-altering event just took place. The heavens are ripped open. A voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of the Lord comes fluttering down like a dove and lights on this Jesus. This is Mashiach. This is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Come on, somebody, help me to give him some praise. Faithful Jew out there realizes we have just seen the first day of the creation week replay. Is God trying to tell us that He's about to recreate? He's going to do something new and fresh. God is doing a new thing, new thing. You better get ready and you better get right because prepare the way the Lord has been the first act and He's been saying. But guess what? He's on the scene now. He's revealed Himself. In His power and in His presence. And this Jesus Christ that we see, the beginning of the gospel, the history-making, life-changing, good news of Jesus Christ. You remember what happened in Genesis? God created a man and gave him a helpmate, and He set them down in a perfect environment. And here comes the slithering serpent, more subtle than all the other beasts of the fields. And this snake can talk. He takes the Word of God and He twists it. And Adam and Eve, in a perfect environment, failed in what Jesus is about to accomplish in a waste-howling, chaotic, hellish wilderness. It's literally a recreation. It is the beginning. God is saying, I'm going to give you a new beginning. This is the good news of a fresh start, a whole new start for all of creation. We're going to recreate this thing. It was destroyed naturally by water the first time and remade. It will be restored and remade by spiritual fire the next time around as we see heaven and earth come, come together. Hallelujah. The whole Trinity is involved. They are re-releasing Genesis' greatest hits. Two-act concert. John the Baptist singing one song, Prepare the Way of the Lord. Here comes Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You read the other Gospels, Matthew 4, Luke 4. 
of the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and they both say he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be led than be driven. Amen. But Mark, Mark is the action guy. He's, he's like the movie screen writing for the Romans, and he says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Jesus was moved and led and motivated to move into this 40-day period of outrageous testing. Mark and Luke both tell us to the detail, spirit, soul, and body in every kind of way, the, the, the possessions, the passion, the position, the goal, the, the, goal the, 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 the girls, the glory, all of those things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, everything that Adam and Eve were tested and tempted in, Jesus was at all points tempted just like you and I are without sin. Come on, He's sinless. That's why He can be our Savior. He will later be referred to as the innocent suffering, dying for the guilty, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ literally endures the tempter who tries to destroy the sinner in the song, but He can't hold it down. He's found no place in Him. There is no foothold for the enemy to have a place in Jesus. Jesus looks at him, and every time the devil quotes the word, he quotes it back to him the right way. That's why it's important for you, believer, to get the word of God in your heart and use the word as an offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. The Spirit drove him into this wilderness experience, and what Adam and Eve failed at in a perfect, ordered environment, Jesus Christ conquered in a hellish, chaotic, wild place. I'm even thankful for that this morning. Last thing, and I'm finished. Hope you've gotten something out of this today. Verse 14 and 15, we're finished. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. I love that. This is making life-changing good news of God. He's proclaiming the gospel of God and he's saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, he said. Jesus sings about for the next three and a half years. He sings about one idea over and over and over and over. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Amen. It's got a verse Amen. in there about opening some blind eyes. He sings a verse that the kingdom, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is within your grasp. It's within your reach. You can reach out and take hold of it. It's here. It's now. It's not one of these days. It's not sometime in the future. It's not in the sweet by and by. It's not for another people in another time. It's right now. It's available to you. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And it is personal transformation. But Southern Christianity has preached that far and stopped. The kingdom of God is not just He can transform your life. The kingdom of God is that He rules over the whole planet. And he will transform the whole creation. Amen. He will set captives free over the whole creation. He will right the wrongs. He will bring justice and liberty and freedom. The people that are oppressed, He will set the captives free. Come on, somebody, put your hands song about raising people from the dead and overcoming and conquering death, raising the widow's son and Jairus' daughter and his best friend Lazarus in John 11. 
He himself conquered death and overcame the grave when he got up out of it on the third day. We celebrated that just a couple of Sundays ago. In 2,000 years, Jesus has been in the process of continuing to sing a song. It's got another verse, and it's got another verse. And somewhere he sang a verse where he called you as his sheep, and he called you by name. Amen. And somewhere down in there, he, he sang a verse down there that set you free. Now he'll break the bondage in your life. I just want to tell you that the gospel of the kingdom of God covers every one of those things. And he's singing it over you this morning. You have a God who sings. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. Amen. God looks at you this morning and he's singing. There's a song in his heart. And he's singing the song of the kingdom. And he's singing the song about how you're going to be released and set free. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this room this morning. I don't know your circumstance. It's not important that I do, but I know someone who does know. He knows the intricate details of the struggle you're in. He knows the habits you can't break, the secret sin that you're wrestling with. He knows the relationship that's on the rocks. He knows the finances that are in trouble. He knows the life of sin that you cannot escape. Kingdom of God is this. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It is the history making, life changing good news of Jesus Christ that changes everything. The kingdom of God is within your reach right now. It's being held out to you. It's within your grasp. You can't work to earn it. He gives you the gift of faith to reach out and receive it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ, our Lord. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing I can do to earn or deserve it. We don't offer religious advice here on how you can earn your way to heaven in 10 steps. That will not get you anywhere. But we do gladly bring the Evangelion, the gospel. We preach the good news. Not of what you have to do, but what Jesus has already done. It's finished. It's accomplished. He paid the ransom. He sacrificed his life for you. Gave his life as a ransom. I beg you this morning, I implore you. There's a line of faith sitting in front of you that you have to make a decision to step across. The Spirit of God is calling his own sheep by name in this room, in this place. You, you sense him drawing you. You sense the love of God just enveloping you. You've Some of you come into this place this morning been out of church for years. You've been far from God. Let me tell you, you cannot get so far that His reach won't grab you. His hand is not short that He cannot say. But in that same passage of Scripture, it says that our sins have separated us. He's reaching. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. It's within your reach. This morning, He's waking up some dead folks in this room. He's calling to life some spiritually dead folks. By grace through faith, you reach out and you take hold of the promise of God. The kingdom of God's at hand. Say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. That's the kingdom right there. It comes into your heart. Be Lord of my life. Take my life. It's a mess. Remake me, Jesus. Let the dove of the Holy Spirit flutter over me. Speak words. Let light come into my darkness. It's good in Genesis chapter 1. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Just want to ask you right now, if anyone in this room is ready to take that step of faith, cross that line of faith, and you would just like to say, Pastor, pray for me. 
I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call you out of your seat. You can stay right there. I'm not calling anybody in the front. But I just want you with a show of hands. If you want to say, Pastor, pray for me right now. Anybody in this room? Hold your hand up for just a second. I see several. Yes. Yes. At least one in every section and several in a couple of them. You put your hands down. I want to say this to believers right now as well. I preached a funeral this week for a dear friend who's only 54 years old. Found out three and a half weeks ago she had cancer. And didn't even really have time to get in the battle until it was over. It was already at stage four. And I stood with tears in my eyes. Every head still bowed. Just, just hang with me for a moment and listen. I stood with tears in my eyes yesterday in that place at Roller Citizens. And I begged people to remember that nobody has certainty of life. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised the rest of today. And with that awareness, I implore you, believers, to not let a root of bitterness come into your heart. Walk in forgiveness. Release the debtors in your life. That's the gospel. God forgave you. You should forgive others. I got on the phone this week and called people. I had talked to you a long time. Said, I just want you to know I love you. Every day counts. Every day counts for Jesus. Those of you that raised your hand a moment ago, I had forgotten you. I'm going to pray with you just a second, but I just want to issue this call right now to believers in this room. You know Jesus Christ, and if you're truly honest right now, you would say to me, Pastor, I've, I've got a grudge I've been carrying. I've got this baggage. I've, I've got resentment. I've got bitterness. I have unforgiveness, and I'm holding an offense against somebody. And I just want to say to you right now, God wants to help lift that off of you, but you have to take the step of faith. And I'm only going to do this one time. Anybody that just want to say, hey, every head bowed, every eye closed, you're going to say, Pastor, that's me. I need that prayer. Slip up your hand right now. Yes, all over the room. In the name of Jesus. Put your hands, put your hands down. Lord, we pray right now. Two groups of people. Lord, some that are sitting before the line of faith and desperately need you, Jesus, to, to break through, to save them, to change their lives, change their circumstances. God, we know that there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. We just say right now, Jesus, save us. We trust you. Come into our hearts and change us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. You promised that what John did with water, you're going to do with the Holy Ghost. And Lord, we just ask you just to inundate us with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Set us on the right track. Help us to change our thinking, God, and turn to you and believe the gospel. Lord, now for that whole group of people in the second call, just to release grudges and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness, God, we let it go right now. We just acknowledge you have forgiven us. You have released us. Lord, there are people who have hurt us and we've been wounded, we've been offended. And God, we just thank you, Jesus, that you carried all of that on the cross. If anyone had a reason to be offended, Jesus, you did. Sinless, but yet becoming the sin bearer of the world. Jesus, help us. We relinquish this. We lay it at the foot of the cross. You said, cast your cares upon you because you care for us. And we throw this thing down at your feet. We ask you, Lord, to help us. I choose to forgive. In Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you help me to be set free from that, that baggage, that bondage. In Jesus' name. All of God's people said. Put your hands together.